Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. In the US, it used to be fairly common for you to see the names and photos of missing people on the back of milk cartons. This practice became obsolete when the Amber Alert system was created in 1996, but prior to this, it was a great way to alert the public of missing people, particularly missing children. Johnny Gosh became one of the first children to be featured on milk cartons in 1982 after he went missing during one of his routine paper routes in Des Moines, Iowa. And while that alone is interesting, it's actually one of the least fascinating facts around his disappearance. The police did a less than stellar job looking into Johnny's disappearance, but was it shoddy police work or a massive cover-up of a child sex trafficking ring? We're going to walk through it all, and trust me when I say, this is a story you'll never forget. 
Before we jump in, I do have a few updates. First of all, big apologies for the late episode. I usually release an episode every Thursday or Friday-ish, heavy on the ish, but I took off out of town for a few days to do some solo travel and I'm back now, but this just means that this week you'll be getting two episodes, plus I have a Patreon-only episode coming this week. And speaking of Patreons, I have two lovely Patreons to shout out tonight. So, first I want to give a big hug and a huge thanks to Corinne Corneau. I think you're the greatest and I super appreciate you taking the time to listen to little old me talk about true crime cases and trash talk terrible people. Thank you so much for being a Patreon, Corinne. I'd also like to give a big, big hug and huge thanks to the one and only Heather Grace DeFrancesco. And I hope to God I'm pronouncing your beautiful name correctly because it's seriously stunning. So thank you so much, Heather, for becoming a Patreon. And I can't wait to connect with you over on my Patreon page. The fact that anyone takes time out of their busy lives to listen to me, seriously, still to this day, completely blows me away. So just a big thank you all around. I also have another little shout out. I don't know if you guys are into the game Minecraft or maybe your kiddos are, but I did a fun little voiceover project on a YouTube Minecraft drama series. And if you're interested, you should go check it out. It's called The Lost Mine, and I'll have a link to the video in my show notes. Now, tonight's episode is sponsored by the true crime podcast, Snow Files. You guys, this is a podcast that I know you're going to be interested in, and it takes on a new twist when it comes to your typical true crime podcast. The story of Snow Files is told by none other than Jamie Snow himself, who shares his experience from Stateville Prison in Illinois. Jamie is serving a life without parole sentence and tells the story of his wrongful conviction and how they got away with it. Do I have your attention yet? I thought so. Jamie is being represented by the Exoneration Project out of the University of Chicago. And thank God we have organizations like this around because, you know, it's a tale as old as time. People wrongfully convicted, being put behind bars when they just didn't commit the crime. And just as important as it is that we put guilty people in jail, it's just as important as keeping the innocent out of jail and allowing them to keep their freedom. Snow Files is a serialized podcast, and much of it is narrated by Jamie Snow himself. You can listen to Snow Files on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can visit snowfiles.net. All right, let's jump in. Johnny Gosh was born on November 12, 1969, in West Des Moines, Iowa, to his mother Noreen and his father John. He had two older siblings that his mother had from a previous marriage, and I actually want to take a second to talk about his mother, Noreen, for a second. This woman is just an incredible human being, pretty much a real-life superhero, in my eyes at least, especially for the way that she carried on after Johnny's disappearance. She's had a tragic and difficult life even before she ever gave birth to Johnny. Noreen had been married to another man prior to meeting John Gosh. She had met and married her previous husband and had two children when she was really young. During the marriage, her husband was sadly diagnosed with cancer, and he passed away just two weeks after a devastating tornado destroyed everything they owned, including their home, and nearly killed their two children. 
Clearly, she had to grow up really quick. After suffering the trauma of losing her husband, their home, and nearly her two children, she was now left a single mother who had to carry on. A few years later, she met John Gosh, and the pair fell in love and got married. It wasn't long before baby Johnny Gosh arrived, and their family was complete. It was said that Noreen, John, and their three children were a very close and happy family. That is, until Sunday, September 5th, 1982. Johnny Gosh was walking around his neighborhood, pulling his red wagon behind him, which was full of newspapers. He was a hard-working 12-year-old little boy who routinely delivered newspapers in order to save up enough money to buy himself a dirt bike. As an active child who loved bikes, he was excited to have his very first job that would allow him to save up his money in order to get that bike that he dreamed of. Everyone in the neighborhood knew who Johnny was. They'd always see him delivering his papers alongside his dog, a miniature Dachshund named Gretchen, and he would always take the dog with him on his paper route. Johnny was very well liked in the community, and he had lots of friends. It was said that he was a very thoughtful child. He was known to take his time to choose perfect presents when it came to birthdays and holidays. He was very responsible and reliable, always delivering the papers on time. Usually Johnny's father, John, would accompany him on his routes, but on this particular day, for whatever reason, he didn't. I couldn't find out if there was a specific reason why he didn't, but Johnny went on to deliver papers by himself on this particular Sunday. Everything seemed fine that morning, nothing out of the ordinary, and at around 6 a.m., Johnny headed out to begin his paper route. A few hours later, John Gosh received several phone calls from neighbors asking why their newspapers hadn't arrived, which they should have been by that time. So after hanging up the phone, John decided to walk around the neighborhood looking for Johnny to see what the issue was. He wasn't initially panicked. He figured that maybe Johnny had accidentally forgotten a few houses or maybe he just got caught up talking to a friend. But his heart dropped when he saw Johnny's red wagon abandoned on the street corners full of newspapers. Johnny's dog Gretchen was also there just running loose, running around the neighborhood. There was something very clearly wrong here, so the Goshes immediately contacted the West Des Moines Police Department and they reported Johnny is missing, or they at least attempted to. When the police showed up about 45 minutes later to take down a report, they informed Johnny's parents that they couldn't report him missing until 72 hours had passed. Yes, we're talking about a missing child. And yes, at this time, this was true. In the early 80s, a missing person, even if it was a missing child, they couldn't be reported as missing until 72 hours had passed. So the police told Noreen that Johnny had probably just run away like young kids tend to do. They weren't taking this seriously at all, which is shocking after what you hear witnesses reported seeing that morning. Thankfully, the police at least took the time to talk to the neighbors and take down some notes on what they saw, because the information they provided is crucial to piecing together what may have happened. Five different witnesses saw a stranger in a car speaking with Johnny and then later speeding away in the car. One witness in the neighborhood said that they saw him talking to this guy in a car and when Johnny noticed his neighbor, he asked him, hey, can you help this guy out? As the neighbor walked over, the guy in the car sped off and Johnny continued on his route. 
The car was described as a two-toned blue Ford Fairmont with Nebraska license plates. And moments later, the man drove back and asked the neighbor for directions again. This neighbor described the man as having big, almost wild-looking eyes, as if he was on something or maybe he just drank too much caffeine that morning. Whatever it was, he looked like he was on an adrenaline rush. Another neighbor said when he looked out his window, he saw a man following Johnny walking right behind him. However, despite these very unusual circumstances and the way that Johnny's wagon and dog were just abandoned on the road, police maintained that they thought that this was just another runaway. Kids just didn't get kidnapped back in these days, or so people believed. As you can imagine, Johnny's parents, particularly his mother Noreen, were hysterical. Everyone who knew Johnny, his friends, family, and neighbors, they all knew that there was no way he had just run away. As searches were carried out by the police and the community, eventually they did change their stance, admitting that Johnny likely didn't run away and maybe could have been abducted, though they were unable to establish a viable motive. And it didn't really appear that they were taking any leads or any witness statements seriously. They had pretty much no evidence that they were working with. John and Noreen Gosh grew frustrated with the police work, and they began to utilize psychics, several who told them that Johnny was dead and that his body would be found within a few months. But the months flew by and turned into years, with no progress in the case. Noreen kept pushing for answers and putting pressure on the police to look into things, so much so that the police would describe her as abrasive and difficult to work with, and many of them asked to be taken off the case completely because they didn't want to work with her. A lead officer in the case, Chief Cooney, was even quoted in the local newspaper as saying, I don't give a damn about what Noreen Gosh has to say. Can you imagine a police officer talking about a victim's mother in such a way? It's unreal the way that they were treating the family while also undermining the severity of what had happened. Six months after that news article was published, Chief Cooney resigned, which, like, good. And then things grew quiet. And then almost two years to the exact date, another paperboy is abducted from Des Moines, 13-year-old Eugene Martin. Witnesses say that they saw him talking to a man in a car before disappearing while he was delivering newspapers. And while one has to wonder, like, what are the odds of two preteen paperboys going missing while doing their routes in Des Moines, the police say that they can't make a connection between the two disappearances. Well, despite what the police were saying, the community was taking note. While kids previously played outside until well after dark or walked to school alone, parents were now terrified and they began to keep a closer eye on their children. Everyone was afraid that their child could be the next Johnny Gosh or Eugene Martin. This is also when people really began to recognize who and what pedophiles were. It seemed to be so outrageous at the time that an adult would prey on a child like that. But the public was becoming more aware that this was happening and pedophiles were a real threat. With news spreading across the country about this very real concern, that same year in 1984, John Walsh, the Gosh family, and other parents of missing children formed the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, 
which is just incredible that they were able to take this tragic situation that was happening to them and work together to help find missing children. And on July 1st, 1984, the Johnny Gosh bill was signed into legislation, which requires law enforcement to act immediately when a minor is reported missing. None of this waiting 72 hours nonsense. We all know now that the first 24 hours after a child has gone missing are the most important and absolutely key to finding them alive. Taking statements right away, conducting interviews, following up on leads, all of this is critical to the investigation because as more time goes on and passes, people's memory of what they saw or remember usually begins to fade. And every day that passes where the child isn't found, search experts say that the odds of finding them alive diminish. Experts believe that if abducted children are harmed or killed, it typically happens in the first three to four hours. So it's essential that they are found right away. According to Robert Lowry, who is the current vice president of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, 66% of missing children were returned at the time that Johnny was abducted. Today, that number is between 98 to 99%, which just goes to show how much progress and work has been done to prevent children from permanently disappearing. Also in that same year, September 1984, pictures of both Johnny and Eugene show up on the back of a milk carton. This is the first time that two missing children are put on the milk carton, but certainly not the last. This was before we had the Amber Alert system, before we all had the internet and cell phones. But most of us buy milk, right? Well, in Canada, we have milk bags, so I don't think this would work. But in the U.S., milk cartons. At the time, authorities believed it was a really effective way to get the word out there that these boys were missing. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. 
Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle. And I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code NAPPER50 at factormeals.com slash NAPPER50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Over the next year or so, police were really quiet on the investigation. However, Johnny's parents continued the search on their own. They traveled across the country, sharing the story of how Johnny disappeared, hoping that someone might see and remember something. They also hired their own private investigator, since they were having a difficult time dealing with the inner workings of their police force. This, of course, comes with a hefty bill that they were stuck paying, so they would often sell candy bars and sell off their personal belongings in garage sales, which just breaks my heart into a million pieces. Your son is missing, you're wondering if he's okay, thinking the worst, being practically ignored by the police, and feeling like you're really the only one trying to find your child. Then, having to go as far as to sell the things that you own to pay for someone to actually take things seriously and dig into what happened to your child. Now, in 1985, something crazy happens. It's been three years since Johnny went missing, and an individual contacts Noreen to give her a dollar bill that has a handwritten note on it, which said, I am alive, along with a signature and signed, Johnny Gosh. The dollar bill was given as change to a woman in Sioux City, Iowa, at a grocery store, and she knew that she had to hand it over to Noreen Gosh. At a news conference, both John Gosh and Noreen Gosh showed the media the dollar bill in question and said that they would trade $400,000 in reward money for the safe return of Johnny. John Gosh told the media, Please, we beg of you, contact us privately and allow us to have our son back. Our son has endured enough pain and suffering. Please return him to us alive and unharmed. If his life has been taken, we ask that we may have information so that at least we know what has happened to him. 
They also vowed not to take any legal action against whoever was holding him or responsible for taking him, as well as to call off the private investigator that they had hired. Noreen swore that the writing on this bill, and the signature in particular, matched Johnny's writing. Unfortunately, after this was all told to the media, there were more dollar bills to come, many of which appeared to be hoaxes. So while Johnny's parents had this renewed sense of hope that their son was alive, it also came with a wave of frustration and desperation, because unfortunately, nothing came of this new revelation. So was it a hoax, or was Johnny really trying to let his parents know that he was still alive? We don't know, even to this day. Again, things went quiet, and then, in 1986, the day before Easter, another young Des Moines boy vanishes. 13-year-old Mark James Warren Allen told his mother that he planned to walk to a friend's house down the street, but he never arrived at the neighbor's home. Mark's mother said, He walked out the door, and the kids were getting ready to have pizza, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. The last thing he said to me as he walked out the door was, Save me some pizza, Mom. I'll be hungry when I get home. And again, law enforcement says that they found no connection between the three cases, Johnny, Eugene, and now Mark. Let me be clear, and I guess this is kind of a spoiler alert, but it's important. None of these three boys have ever been found to this day. Alright, here is where everything takes an insane twist and really turns the whole case on its head. Well, for everyone except for maybe law enforcement. It's time we introduce Paul A. Bonacci, who in 1989 told his attorney that he had been abducted into a sex ring, the same sex ring that Johnny Gosh had been forced into, and that when he was a teenager, he was forced to participate in Johnny's kidnapping. Paul was currently in prison after being arrested for sexual assault on a different 13-year-old boy and said he felt like he needed to come forward with information that he had relating to Johnny's kidnapping. Now, according to Paul, he himself was a victim of sexual abuse from the age of six years old. He alleged abuse by several adults throughout his youth, including a Catholic priest. He said that the abuse is what led him to becoming an abuser and he claimed to have been part of the abduction of Johnny Gosh. He said that he had abducted Johnny with another man named Emilio, who was the mastermind of the plot. Paul said his job was to chloroform him with a rag, while Emilio dragged him into the car and drove away. Now, according to Paul, Johnny was still alive as far as he knew, but he was being kept tied up frequently molested and having photos taken of him, which would either be sold as is as child pornography or used to entice molesters to buy him. Yeah, just let that sink in for a second. Noreen had heard what Paul was claiming behind bars and at first she was reluctant to meet with him. She wasn't sure if she believed him. While Paul wasn't getting a better deal or anything in exchange for his statement, he did suffer from multiple personality disorder, and so there was a fear that maybe he was so mentally ill he couldn't distinguish imagination from reality. Eventually, Noreen did decide to go and meet him. While every second listening to Paul describe what happened to Johnny was incredibly painful, she felt like it was all just something she needed to hear she had to know what happened because hearing these horrible details as awful as they were 
The worst thing is just not knowing at all what happened to your child. Noreen said that Paul told her things he could only know if he had actually met and talked to her son, Johnny. He described marks on Johnny's body that the general public didn't know about, and he said that Johnny frequently talked about going to yoga with his mother, which was true. Noreen was an active yoga teacher, and Johnny would often go to class with her. And heartbreakingly enough, Paul said that Johnny stammered when he was upset, which again was true. Noreen knew this. These were all things that no one really knew except those who were close to him. Paul was even able to draw up a map of where Johnny was taken, a map from memory. Yet, even with all of this, the FBI and the local police didn't believe that Paul was a credible witness in the case or a real suspect, and they refused to interview him. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. A journalist interviewed Paul in prison to get his full account of details and his account of Johnny's abduction. They handed over the full, unedited copy to the police to review, and still, police didn't believe that there was anything to connect Paul to Johnny. While they refused to interview Paul himself, they said that they did speak with Paul's family, who said that at that time, they had put him in a mental institution. It was around the time of Johnny's abduction, so supposedly, he couldn't have done it. And that was all the police needed to hear, to take Paul off their radar completely, even though they didn't interview Paul's family until 10 years after Johnny was abducted. Like, number one, who knows how good their memory is when so much time has passed? And number two, who's to say he didn't leave the institution to abduct Johnny? While the police didn't bat an eyelash at Paul, the media continued to be interested in his story, and so Paul continued to be interviewed. Some of the things he said were so wild at the time that they almost sounded made up, but it also seemed to check out. Paul mentioned this branding that Johnny had received as part of punishment for trying to escape. It was this mark on his arm that looked almost like a tattoo. And when the media aired this, kids started to phone in with their own similar stories. And some of them even had this exact same branding that Paul had described. He talked about how quote-unquote throwaway children, children who came from abusive homes, runaways, poor families, they were used to bring in the children who came from loving homes who would be sold off for sex to high-profile rich individuals. According to Paul, this all went so much deeper than just Johnny Gosh's abduction. He was part of this massive pedophile ring and child sex trafficking network. In one interview, he talked about a home, a house, where they would keep the children hidden away from public view, and he even went as far as to show the cameras where the house was. In the video, Paul is very visibly upset as they walk around the property, and he recounts different instances of abuse. In my opinion, it appears he's being truthful in his accounts. Paul shows the cameraman a hole under the house that has been dug out, and it looks almost like a dungeon. According to Paul, this is where they would hide the children if anyone came to the door or, you know, if police came looking. When the news outlet dug further into who the homeowner was, you know, trying to back up any of the details that Paul was giving, they discovered that the man who owned the home before it was abandoned was a prison security guard who was missing. 
So while it kind of turned out to be a dead end, they couldn't find this man to interview him or ask any further questions. The fact that this prison guard is missing, that alone is highly suspicious. And again, even with all of this very specific information and all of these details, the police did nothing to push any further. They didn't dig any further into Johnny Gosh or any of the other horrible allegations and claims that Paul was making about this massive child sex ring. And think about it. It's only recently that we've started to identify abusers and pedophiles in these rich and high places and try to hold them accountable. Which even to this day, we know is incredibly difficult because these criminals have all of the money in the world, all of this power to be able to keep things quiet. All you have to do is to look at Jeffrey Epstein to see how all of this has worked. And if this is still an issue today, imagine how complicated it would have been in the 80s and 90s to try and prosecute these pedophiles in these powerful positions. To me, the fact that the police didn't seem to be looking or pushing any further or asking questions following up on any of these very legitimate leads to me that just screams at it all being a massive cover-up paul bonacci went on to accuse republican party activists and businessman lawrence e king jr of being part of running this underage prostitution ring and sexually abusing him since an early age he claimed that in omaha nebraska there was a huge ring of sex traffickers and a massive pedophile network that would fly kids from coast to coast, selling them to rich and powerful people. Paul wasn't the only one making these claims either. There were others who were abused by this same ring of people, and they backed up exactly what Paul was saying. And at one point, charges were even brought forward against King. Despite the serious allegations and the evidence to support Paul's accusations, a county grand jury declined to charge King, finding that the allegations were a carefully crafted hoax, quote-unquote. Not only that, but Paul and the others who testified, they were all indicted on state perjury charges. It just makes you sick, doesn't it? Paul decided to file a civil lawsuit of $1 million against King, hoping that the truth would finally come out. King never showed up in court to defend himself, so an automatic judgment was granted against him. However, he never paid a penny to Paul. This network that Johnny Gosh had likely been sold into was clearly too powerful at the time for anyone to take on. However, it didn't stop Noreen and John Gosh from trying, pushing, speaking, doing anything they could to try to get their son's story out there. Unfortunately, it was all just too much for the pair to battle, and in 1993, the Goshes filed for divorce. It appears that the two disagreed on a lot of different things surrounding Johnny's disappearance. One of the things they disagreed about was a story that Noreen told about a time when she actually saw and spoke to Johnny. Now, this story is incredibly strange and I really don't know how to feel about it. So listen closely and let me know what you think. Noreen said that in March of 1997, around 2 a.m. in the morning, there was a persistent knock on the door. At first, she tried to ignore it and go back to sleep, but whoever was at the door continued knocking until she got up to answer. When she opened the door, 27-year-old Johnny was standing there, with another unidentified man standing behind him. Noreen described Johnny as looking similar to her son. However, his eyes were different. So 
It took her a moment to recognize him until he said, it's me, mom, and opened his shirt to reveal a birthmark on his chest. Maureen later said, the night that he came here, he was wearing jeans and a shirt and had a coat on because it was March. It was cold and his hair was long. It was shoulder length. It was straight and dyed black. When she told Johnny that she was going to call the police to let them know that he was back, Johnny pleaded with her not to, saying that they would kill him. So instead, she invited both of the men inside, where they stayed for about an hour and a half. Johnny talked a little bit about what had happened to him and how he was being held captive for all of these years. He said the other kids who were being kept formed a kind of family with each other for emotional support. When it came to details regarding the abuse, he was brief and nonspecific, and Noreen believed he did this intentionally to protect her. And then, after a short while, he said he had to go, and Noreen let him. She didn't call the police, and she didn't tell anyone, not a soul, about the visit. Not until many years later would she share this story, because Johnny had asked her not to. Do I believe this story? I'm not sure, honestly. Noreen is an incredible person, and it's entirely possible. But it does seem kind of strange for her to fight so hard to find her son, and yet not share this very important detail. And actually, most people at the time didn't believe her when she finally told the story, including her former husband, John. But Paul Bonacci, he actually authenticated some of what she was saying, that it's quite possible that Johnny was still alive and just too afraid to come forward for fear of either being killed or going to prison. Like I mentioned, many of those young boys who were abused were then forced to abuse others as they got older. Either way, I'll let you decide what you think. In August of 2006, Noreen began receiving numerous photos of teenage boys who were bound and gagged. And if you Google it, you will find them, but I'm going to give you a heads up. They are incredibly disturbing. There's not really any nudity or anything like that, but just knowing the purpose of the photos, like it's just sickening. It's sickening. It, it just made me want to vomit. These photos were traced back to a child pornography website, which was quickly taken down. According to Noreen, one of the boys appeared to be Johnny. She noted that the boy in the photo had the same birthmark on his upper chest as Johnny. She handed the photos over to the police, which included photos of three other unidentified boys. Unfortunately, the police could not positively identify from the photo that it was Johnny. This was due to the quality of the photo when they enlarged it. And Johnny's dad, John, he also didn't believe it was him. This was just another point of contention for the pair. Years later, police said that unfortunately this was just a cruel prank played on Noreen and that the pictures were actually from another case that had already been solved. Now, it's been 39 years since the abduction of Johnny Gosh, and he's still never been found. He would be 51 years old today. The police have never looked into Paul Bonacci's story to see if it checks out, and unfortunately, it's a cold case now, and I'm not sure we'll ever really know what happened unless Johnny himself comes forward to tell his story. We don't know if he's alive or if he's deceased, and that's a tragedy all around. One that really sparked the idea of stranger danger. 
The idea that he was abducted and put into child trafficking seemed impossible at the time, but with what we know today, it's highly likely that this could have happened to him. Noreen has gone on to continue to support and help parents of missing children still to this day. She works hard to be an advocate for them and their child. So if there is any silver lining at all in this case, it's the incredible work that Noreen has done. Now that's actually where I'm going to end things tonight because there isn't any other information. This is a cold case. We have no idea what happened to Johnny Gosh. We just know of all of these really strange and odd circumstances. But of course, I would love to know what you think. What do you think really happened to Johnny? Do you believe Paul Bonacci's story? And do you believe that Johnny showed up at Noreen's doorstep all those years ago? Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. I would like to once again thank our sponsor. Snowfiles is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit www.snowfiles.net. Trust me when I say you are going to want to add this one to your must-listen list. Now, as for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park